Hi there and welcome back to the ESPN Footy Podcast. G'day everybody, welcome back to the podcast for another day. Well, actually, yes, we're only a couple of days after our normal drop on a Tuesday and we are in the studio for a very special occasion. Jake is smiling like a Cheshire cat over there because I think it's his favourite night of the year is, is coming up. And no, it's not... The prelims, and no, it's not the grand final. It's the night of nights, the Brownlow Medal. The night of nights. It is. Um, favourite night of the year, favourite sporting it, event of the year. Is I, it actually? I, 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 you react this way every single year when I say this. Because I forget this. how it ludicrous change. it is. The grand final? The grand final never lives up to the height. Australian Open men's final? Women's uh, final? Good, but no. This is the one that I... I because I, you know, I watch so much football, I watch all the games, and I make my own notes, and I love seeing how what I think compares to what actually comes out and obviously the Brownlow medal yeah some people might disagree but I think it's the um I think it's the best individual sport medal you can win in Australian sport is that right okay well for those who have been living under a rock and do live listen to this podcast uh often you do know that Jake is a big Brownlow man and he does have his own predictor that we publish on the website espn.com.au forward slash afl uh he updates it religiously weekly uh does good numbers too i've been very impressed by the numbers here just keeping us afloat keeping the uh, the lights on at the disney office which is always nice uh but it is a bit of a one-of-a-kind uh brownlow predictor and, and you have spruiked this before because it isn't sort of just your traditional three two and one yours works a little bit differently yeah, there's a few more of them that are like that are kind of doing this sort of thing now. I think rather than going just three, two, one. I guess the the issue with going three, two, one is there's not much margin for error. If you if if there's two players that played extremely well and you give one of them the three, one of them the two, and you're wrong, well you're going to be one off on both for both players. Whereas if you're giving them both two point five, mm. you're minimising that margin of error. And over the course of the season, that might end up being six, seven votes. So you're trying to get it as accurate as you can and. You know, we'll talk about champion data as well, uh, one in a second, but that that takes it to a, a, another level yet again. So I think it's just about the whole idea is reducing your margin of error on how many votes a player will have in a game, and then obviously extrapolating that over the course of the year to get it as small as possible. So you did mention it. We do have Christian from Champion Data in the uh, studio as well, and he's going to be, I don't know, proofreading yours, comparing it to uh, what Champion Data likes to have as well. Yours is run a little bit differently, and, and, and the way that you do calculate votes is a little bit differently as well to Jake's. Yeah, I think it's similar in, in terms of we look at that there's six votes per game that are given out by the umpires, obviously a three, a two, and a one. Um, we distribute those votes out based on the stats, so we won't actually try to predict a three, two, one. We'll sort of give, you know, 2.3 votes to somebody in a game and, and 1.2, and, and sort of... Uh, you might end up having five or six players combined to end up with those mm. the chances to get the six votes in a game. But it's almost impossible in your model to get three. Correct. I, I, think, I think I've seen some... 2.7, 2.8 seems to be as high as it goes. Be, yeah. And again, it's it's you talk about it, it's a model. It's it's almost an untouched model for the last three or four years. We've just let it do its thing. Mm. Um, and it's based on the stats you're winning in a game, just just based on the total number of stats. If you win 30 disposals and kick two goals, you you this this much likely to get a vote in a game but if someone else also kicks 30 disposals and two goals in that game then you're half as likely to get as much votes as you know we would have if you were the only one so yep. it sort of it starts off and it gives raw votes based on all of those stats so we might end up giving 10 votes per game when, when it first runs through it so it says okay all the players that had 30 disposals are going to get one vote one vote one vote oh hang on we've ended up with 10 players with 30 disposals we can't give out 10 votes so it rescales back and starts to look at where you won those, where you won those uh, disposals. So midfield disposals obviously come up slightly higher. Looks at what position you played, what other sort of stats that come into it. Contested possessions, clearances will start to come into it, 
and also looks at your previous polling history. So it takes mm. into account whether the umpires have previously voted for you when you've got those stats previously compared to this year. So again, that's where our model probably falls down a little bit when I look at it. Um, we'll go through our top five and things, and, and there'll be a few names here that sort of their legacy names. They're, they're high up because the umpires have previously voted for them. A good example is Andrew Brayshaw. Um, very, very similar numbers from in terms of raw averages from this year to last year, but a very different sort of looking season for him. I know he mm. won the AFL Players Association Award last year and um, wasn't as highly spoken of this year. We've still got to get him getting we've still got him getting a lot of votes based on previous polling history that when he does get 28 disposals, he usually did get votes last year. So when he got 28 disposals this year, the model sort of favoured him to get the votes over someone like a Caleb Sarong who probably doesn't have the previous polling history. So that's probably where ours sort of, um, the difference is it really does take into account what the umpires have done previously. So as an outsider, just looking at your both of your models, um, I think there are pros and cons to both. So Jake's is more the eye test. Um, you religiously pour over these games to, to look at what happens and look at through the stats and, and, and all these sort of other quirky little caveats, including who gets interviewed on the on the ground after the yeah, game. Yeah, people laugh, and I mean, it's 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 true. I will just say before we started, like if, if you're um, if you're Lockie Neal, for example, getting interviewed and the umpires are walking <laughs> off and he's been probably the third best player on the ground, is he getting this, is he getting more votes than perhaps he should? So the, the beauty of yours is it's very human, which is exactly what the umpires do, whereas for Christian, it's a lot more statistics-driven, which is not how the, the, the Brownlow is decided. So obviously good because it does take into account these statistics, mm. but lacks maybe the human side, whereas yours probably lacks the, the raw data analysis, whereas it has that, that human side. So combined maybe you've got like a captain planet thing going on between you who knows create a special model uh how much work does go into yours jake oh a lot it, it, you know and for I'm, those doubting your bona fides <laughs> i i um i like to i guess uh spook the fact that i do watch all the games um every quarter of every game for the entire season not obviously not all live but i do watch them all because for one i don't like having an opinion on thing that, on something that i don't actually know or understand or watch um, and two, how can you do this if you're not watching the games? I mean, you're just guessing otherwise. Or, or as you say, you might look at a stat sheet and try and just form your opinion based on, on that. Um, so a lot of work does go in. So the, the hours that go in watching all the games and then doing all the other uh, analysis post-game to come up with the votes that actually get published on the site. And then there's the predictor that gets published on ESPN.com.au, as you mentioned before. And then there's a couple of other ones that I sort of have to myself, which is sort of... I guess beta testing sort of stuff, which little things that I try and test and see if they work. You got a PayPal see, that people can pay and, you to have a look at this. How, we'll see how they accurate they get. And I have sort of, I have about three different ones now. And then at the end of the year, um, once the so it's not so much that I'm looking at can I get the winner right. Like obviously you want to get the winner right because that's what everybody remembers. But it's more about like how many of the top ten did I get? How many of the top twenty did I get? How far off was I with each player? Mm. You know, I don't. I would rather get the number one wrong but only be two votes off on average with most players than being than get the one, lead the winner right but being six votes off with every player. So it's about getting it as close to the actual final leaderboard as possible um, and seeing how you go. So really quickly, how does it stack up? How accurate has it been for you? Um, well, it's been I've done this is the this is the 10th year I've done it. It's uh, I picked the winner 7 of the last 9 years. Mm-hmm. Um, or it has picked the winner 7 of the last 9 years. Uh, not last year though didn't mm-hmm. get Patrick Cripps I think I had him a couple of votes back third uh, off the top of my head Chris um, sorry and yeah but as I said it's it's for me a big part of it is about getting it as close as possible because I think where where you see how accurate it is not necessarily the winner it's it's going down to the sort of 
those players that are 10th to 15th and seeing how you, how you can get them because that's where you know for a lot of people the, the Brownlee medals are a big gambling event and that's where people make their money is is down there more so than up the top uh, champion data's uh, predictor how accurate could you say that's been over over the course of the last few years yeah have to go back I'd, we wouldn't have got last year's winner so i'll add one number to the number i know so that'll probably be seven of the past 11 i think that would make it winners wise um and i know i don't again don't know if we had patrick cripps top two two of the winners that we didn't pick we had second so we almost you know yeah um big hand mm. on that so yeah it's funny so well. i think the last real shock winner for a lot of people was probably matt prudis in 2014 so it took a 10 10-ish years ago now um there weren't a lot of predictors back then yeah, I feel like because there are a lot of people that do the predictors and a lot of people do this kind of analysis and we see them, I feel like it's almost impossible to get a shock winner this year. Like it's like in any point going forward, it would be like I don't know someone like Noel Anderson just winning it next week and and it's just everyone's like oh he was really good this year but I didn't think he was going to win it. So I'd, I feel like it's getting harder and harder to have that ultra shock result. Yeah. So with all this analysis that goes on, and you're right, you do see plenty of predictors out there, whether it's on the AFL's official one, there are, there are stats nerds out there that keep their own ones, there is you, there's champion data, there's, you, can, you can find them, basically. Yep. Um, so I guess then there must be a standard now. There must be a set of like statistics that you can look at and be like, hey, the guys that have won it the last 10 years have nailed this, right? And so if you listen to this pod regularly, you know that we like to talk about the, the Premiership Standards Report, which is a chart that shows where the last 10 Premiers have ranked in a certain number of stats, with mm. some being more important than others, uh, and some clubs nailing them better than others, uh, and, and obviously going on to win the Premiership. Look, it might not be foolproof, but it does give you a blueprint of the things that you do need to nail to be a Premiership contender, especially sort of earlier in the year, you can sort of nail down what you need to do. Well, we thought we would try and replicate it kind of with the Brownlow medal. Of course, the wrinkle here, and we mentioned it earlier, is that this isn't an award that is decided by stats, right? It's decided by humans uh, being the umpire. So it might not be as accurate, but it's certainly interesting. And and you guys have been collaborating on this, and I'm just the facilitator here. I'm just hosting the podcast. Uh, But you guys have sort of exchanged some, some stats, some numbers, some interesting little points of contention to work out what it is that Brownlow medal winners have done well. Where do you want to start? Yeah, so I guess we, Christian and I were talking about this um, oh, a few months ago now. We started to talk about basically what you just said. And I think everyone knows, certainly in, in modern history, uh, post-2000, it's it has become a midfielder's award, as everybody likes to say. But I would sort of fire back and say, well, the majority of the best players do play in the midfield, so it's not, super, it's not that surprising, really. So we kind of thought we would look at some of the main midfield stats that everyone would talk about disposals and clearances contested possession all that sort of stuff and sort of see where each of the last I think we're going back 15 years um, where the last 15 winners sort of rank in those areas in their Brownlow uh, year so I'll let Christian talk more about this but I think the the clear one for me and the one that just stacks up year after year after year if you look at look at um, look at the last 15 years is the contested possession rate um, and going back to Adam Cooney in 2008 and every winner since then, only once has the winner not been in the top five for contested possessions, and that was Dane Swan in 2011. He was 11th, so it wasn't like he was far, far back. You have to be an elite contested possession winner to win the Brownlow medal. Yeah, so using totals across the home and away seasons, as you said, going back to Adam Cooney, who was fifth for contested possessions the year he won it all the way through to Paddy Cripps, who was fourth last year. You're right, no one outside the top 10. The other one that caught my eye, though, no one has actually finished number one in that exact stat. Yeah, so we haven't weird. had the number one contested ball winner win a Brownlow medal. 
uh, in that time. Number one this year for contested possessions total was Marcus Bontempelli. So Not a great omen. Yeah, do we scratch his <laughs> name funny, off It's funny, though, because the rankings are 4-3-3-3-3-4-4-3-2-3-4-11-5-2-5. So they're always... Amazing. Yeah. Amazing that it's just the, the, the one just doesn't sneak in there. And obviously, again, the two names that we're going to be talking about on this podcast probably fit into this one. That Again, this is... We've said it before on the on the podcast. Our future performance doesn't necessarily, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, rely on for you know um, what's coming up. But again, Bont would be the first person to rank number one in contested possessions and win it in the last fifteen years. Nick Dacos is the other favourite. He was seventy fourth for mm. total contested possessions this year, so has the bucket trend so in that one. Yeah, and the other one for me was clearances. Even the clearances again. Every one of the players is in the top. Uh, Ten for clearances, except for Gary Ablett in two thousand nine, who was seventeenth for clearances. Um, all the other guys from 2008 onwards have been at least, yeah, at least top 10 with a couple of, um, you know, Tom Mitchell was the number one clearance winner in 2018 when he won it. So contested possessions, clearances, those those stats that we know, you know, you sort of half joke about, but they're the ones that are right under the umpire's nose. Um, definitely the guys that are getting noticed. Yep, and disposals as well. Uh, 11, of the, 11 of those 15 have ranked top 10. Uh, they've all ranked uh, top 30 um, and... Uh, score involvements as well. Twelve of them have been uh, top twenty. So I guess the 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 day cost is an interesting one because he does buck a few of those trends. We know he's. Um, I think he finished as the number one uncontested disposal winner of the year, certainly by um, average per game. Um, but clearances and contested possessions, yeah, he's not in the top fifty. So it'll be interesting to see how he goes because he doesn't sort of fit that mold in terms of what we see. And we will have another story on this just to sort of let your eyes see the data um, as opposed to us speaking because yeah, we can keep understand on the a website. little bit more. Um, but some fascinating some fascinating stuff there. So then the other thing we kind of looked at was... So that was more around the, the, the premiership standard turned into Brownlow standard. But then yep. what about certain types of games? What, what if you... What stat lines equate to votes? Yes. So, I see. I see where you're going with this. So if you kick in, if you kick a bag of ten, if you kick a bag of ten, how many votes are you getting on average? So same timeline, last fifteen years. Um, and again, I can throw this one to Christian. He was the one that dug all these numbers up. But there's some fascinating stuff here. Yeah. So again, looking at, uh, we just put our heads together. I think earlier in the season, and just said, hey, you know, what about if you have thirty disposals and three goals? How often does that get a vote? So we sort of started there, and you look at thirty disposals and three goals since two thousand eight. 214 occurrences of a player actually having 30 disposals and three goals in that. The average votes across those games is 2.38. So you usually get just over two votes uh, for those games. 93% of the players that have done it have actually polled in that game. The 7.5% haven't got a vote. Yeah, stiff. exactly. Very, very stiff. I think one of them and off the top of my head was, I think Dane Zorko had like 32 and, and 5 and he didn't get a vote. Didn't get a vote. And then, yeah, 61% get the, get the three votes. So if you're looking at... Um, comparing, you know, 30 disposals and three goals, just 61% chance of getting the three votes. If you have 30 disposals, 10 clearances and 10 score involvements, you're 52% chance of getting the three votes. So those two stack up pretty high. Um, but yeah, whether you want to go through the goals ones, which caught your eye. The goals ones are interesting. We'll get to that in a sec. The, the, other, the one I find fascinating is 40 disposals. Does not matter what you do with the ball. 40 disposals, you're averaging 2.17 votes per per game and that's happened 271 times in the, that 15 year period but yeah 40 disposals regardless of what you do with it you're getting on average two two and a bit votes per game so 84% of all 40 disposal games have been awarded with votes yep whereas you look at something like you know a, a really key defensive measure 
um, intercept possessions, 15 plus intercept possessions, which is a, a, obviously a high amount for a player in a game. That's happened fewer times in the 40. That's actually only happened 108 times uh, since 2008. 0.56 of a vote in those games. Um, and only 9% of the time has that player got the three votes in the game. Only polling one in four times if yeah. you get that. So you can sort of see where these start to skew toward midfield numbers. Because even like I would look at what, what's, what's a game winning performance from a forward? A bag of five? Yeah, so I think it's probably as the years have gone on and scoring has become harder, I think it's what we sort of asked, I've asked this before, but what is a bag now? Is yeah. it a, a bag used to be eight. Is a bag four now or five? So five goals. So we did. We, look, we looked at how many uh, goals you kick and, and how many votes you get. So five goals, that's happened 609 times in the last 15 years, getting you 1.3 votes on average for five goals. And six goals kind of jumps up to two votes a game, 2.02, and that's happened 232 times seven goals and this is to finish on this number not plus uh, seven goals 78 uh, times and that's that's when you really start getting in the votes you're 2.5 there with if you're kicking seven goals eight goals 31 times 2.7 nine goals five times uh, we saw two of them this year with uh, three this year actually Kerno Walker. Walker and Hogan yes uh, 2.8 okay and 10 goals, and this is the one, I and mean, I need to go and find find this. So that's only happened 12 times in the last 15 years. 2.92. So someone got a 2, and the other For 11 10 goals. got the 3. Yeah, and I, I got, must admit, I don't know who it is. I have to go and check yeah, that. Yeah, I, I don't have the, <laughs> the games with me. I'll have to um, check that up. But you can sort of see 7 goals, you, you're that's, more that's, often than yeah. not getting the 3. You're getting You're asking a lot votes. of forwards, aren't you? I mean, if you, if you were kicking 7 goals 10 times in a year... Yeah, seventy so, goals. Like a forward would have to kick a hundred in order to potentially win a brown. This is why forwards tend to be the easier. Play- Certainly, key forwards tend to be the easier players to work out how many brownlow votes they're going to get. So, someone like Taylor Walker, it, it's a lot of threes or zeros. Mm. Um, same with Charlie Kerner, maybe a couple of ones in there as well. But it's generally you know threes and zeros. So you, you get a much easier gauge of where they're going to finish at the end of the season. Um, but yeah, some fascinating stuff there. And as I said, we'll have um, have a written piece on, mm, on keep this, an eye out, uh, which maybe kind of explains it a little bit more when you can can see the visuals. Maybe coming out tomorrow. That's Friday. Uh, so keep an eye out on the website espn.com.au forward slash afl. All right, who have you got winning, Jay? <laughs> so I probably shouldn't say this because I, um, I well, it kind of goes against everything I've said in the lead up to this. But I'm not that confident this year <laughs> and I think it's because I've got five players finishing within two votes so like I said before it's it's not so much about nailing it exactly the order it's about get, getting it as close getting each player as close to what they actually end up on um, on the night so I've got my predictor has Marcus Bontempelli winning it with 31 votes um, Jeez, 31 votes just ahead of Nick Dacos on 30 and Christian Petrarca on 30 so Dacos, but when he goes out with his injury, it's going to be a, a race to kind of. Yep. So Dacos's last votes will come in round eighteen, and that's off. That's from his round fifteen to eighteen. I've got him going two, three, 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 and then obviously uh, won't poll a vote after that, missing the last three, well, really four games with that Hawthorne game. Um, won't be polling a vote in the last six weeks. So it's, I think Dacos seems to be, from what I've seen, other predictors around the traps, most have him around that 30 mark and then everyone else is like some have other players high some have lower but Dacos seems to be the one constant of 
he's going to get to that point yeah. about 29 30 can anyone run him down interesting interesting so who, who's further down the list who are who are kind of the, the on the periphery maybe a smoky but a, a will poll well yeah so Bontempelli 31 Dacos Petrarca tied 30 then it's Zach Butters 29.5 and Lockie Neal 29 so as I said very close top 5 I mean you can make a case any of those 5 uh, can win as I said I've seen different predictors with uh, most of those where does it fall top. off uh, I wouldn't say it falls off but because Caleb Sarong I've got 6 at 27 and Connor Rosie uh, next on 25. So so a little bit of a gap there. Mm. Um, and generally, I find that there might be maybe a 5%, probably over the last three years, there's been about a 5-6%. I've given 5 to five to 6% extra votes than what players actually finish on. Um, You're generous. So you, generous can, you might be able to bring it down a touch. I, I wouldn't use these numbers too... Uh, liberally, when you're actually looking at pl- exact amount of votes players are going to get, it's more so a guide. But yeah, it's it, if if anything, it's generally overshooting them slightly than undershooting them by a lot. Um, and then just to finish off the top ten, Jordan Dawson, uh, Tim Taranto, and Errol Goulden. Interesting. How does this compare to champion data? Do you have Bont winning yours? So probably the first thing I notice is our vote count is a lot lower. And as you said, you Ooh. know, looking at the uh, the Tex game where he, where he kicked 10 early in the season, we got him at 2.9 votes, which is one of the most, the closest we've got to a three-vote game. So we haven't yeah. got anyone getting a straight three. But over the course of the season, taking off a couple of point twos here and there yeah, yeah, is going to drop you a couple bit. of votes. So we've got our leader again. If you want to go to decimal points, our leader is 26.8 on decimal points. Obviously, you don't get decimal points on the night. Second is 26.7. So again, I don't know what the company line will be here, but I'll round them both up and say we're probably uh, looking at joint winners based on champion data as predicted this year. Nick Dacos to hold on, uh, obviously, you know, not get a vote for the last six weeks. We've actually got Petrarca as the one equal with him. So as I said, 26.8 for Dacos, 26.7 for Petrarca, round them both up to 27. Just ahead of Bont, who's 24.5. So a 25-vote season for Bont and Pally. Fourth, Lockie Neal. So I think the top four is very much the same. And then fifth is where the sort of the bias sort of comes in. So as I said, Andrew Brayshaw, fifth, based on very, very similar averages to last year where he, I think he got 20-odd votes in, in, in the Brownlow last year. So we're still predicting him to go high. We've got Zach Merritt, sixth, and Connor Rosie, seventh. So Connor Rosie at seventh, Zach Butters at 18th on our Brownlow predictor. Again, that is where the glaring um, mm. error of umpire bias has come in. So before this year, I think... Uh, Connor Rosie had polled 19 votes across the season, so umpires had noticed him. Butters had only vote, uh, polled votes in three games and I think had six votes in total. So again, we haven't seen previous history of, of Butters being noticed by the umpire, so our predictor is going to probably be behind by a year, sort of yep. saying, well, Butters has had pretty good games this year, but whenever he's had anywhere close to Rosie, Rosie seems to be getting the votes in yep. our predictor. So... A similar story, like you said, with Sarong. So you don't have yeah, Sarong. Yeah, so Sarong is uh, down in 14th yeah. um, and Brayshaw's 5th. If you were getting me to predict a Fremantle vote leader, I would be predicting Sarong, even though our predictor is saying sort of Brayshaw in yeah. front of me. That's interesting. So uh, it does. there is a lot of weight in the how uh, how players have polled in the, in the past. And, yeah. and you have to take that into consideration. So, you know, pl- you know, people that are thinking of, you know, putting a bit of coin on someone like Zach Butters, you've got to bake that in. You know, how will he go? And I Chad think... Warner before he got his hair cut and after he got his hair cut. <laughs> yeah. Well, you got to, you'll know with, with Butters sort of around, uh, well, I think, I guess the first few rounds, he probably won't be getting votes. But once they start getting on that winning streak, around, around seven, eight, nine, you'll, you'll have a good understanding of how he's going to finish the night. Um, 
but the, the interesting one that you've got there is Dacos. So you've got Dacos winning, or whether it's joint or, or sole winner. He's only played one season. He polled pretty well last year for a first-year player. So it's interesting that you've got him... As, as I said, so he has that... Exactly. It helps with the previous polling history, but it also helps with just probably how how far ahead of a lot of the stats he was. So he was a lot... A lot of the time he was getting 35 and the next most Collingwood player was 21, 22. So it's easier for us to sort mm. of disseminate the stats. Whereas mm-hmm. Brayshaw and Sarong is probably only a three or four disposal difference between them and maybe three or four contested possession difference. It is. It's such high numbers... Um, Luckily, he did poll pretty well last year. So, yeah, our Brownlow predictor has, has jumped on board the Nick Dacos bandwagon quite quickly. Alrighty, let's whip through these. We're going to go through uh, each club's leading vote getter according to both of your predictors. Jake, Crows? Uh, Jordan Dawson, 24.5. And then below that, do you have a second place? Yeah, I've got Laird on 19. And so, five and a bit below. Yeah, I think I think Dawson's a pretty comfortable one. Okay, here. so this is good context. So, maybe maybe the top and then maybe the, the second one as well. Yeah, that sorry, way I wasn't kind of, sure where no, you were. No, no, I didn't right. know how, how much you wanted to whip this. We're, we're riffing. <laughs> we're riffing. Uh, Crows? Yes, 17 for Laird, 16 for Walker. We don't have uh, Dawson uh, Dawson third at 12. So yeah, so Dawson's Dawson, same sort of story with Dawson. Just a player that pro- oh, changed position, obviously, yep. one of the stories of the year. Um, we'll see how he goes. He'll be an interesting one on Brownlow night. Lions? Pretty clear. Lockie Neal, 29. Uh, Josh Dunkley, second, 12. 12. Yeah, 23, Lockie Neal. We got Joe Danaher, the second at nine. Blues? Yeah, Blues is one of the tougher ones to pick. Um, I've got Cripps, 19.5, ahead of Charlie Kerno. Like I said, I think Kerno easier to sort of know which games he's going to get the votes in because it's a lot of threes in, ga- in games he's kicked a bag. Um, Cripps will be a bit harder because there is a little bit of the you were really good last year even if you're 10% take 10% off and I guess you can say the same thing with Lockie Neal as well how many votes are the umpires going to get do, you, do they then hold you to a higher standard do your mm. games that you normally get a one or a two now get none so that'll be an interesting storyline to follow but yes I've got Cripps just in front yeah Cripps 19 Charlie Kerno 15 Pies, obviously Dacos. Dacos on 30. Dugowie is uh, the second one on 16. Um, ahead of Josh Dacos, probably around 12, 13. So, yep, 27 if we round up for Nick Dacos to be equal winner. Top Mitchell, again, based on previous polling wow. history, we've got him at this, 13. And yeah, that, so that, was staggering. that yeah. was staggering to me when I saw this Tom Mitchell. I'd be staggered if Tom Mitchell polled more than five yeah, votes. We don't, we don't have him getting many votes after round 13, so it'll be the first half of the season where the, this predictor is seeing him get his votes. Bombers. Um, seems like a Zach Merritt year, about 22, uh, Darcy Parrish, somewhere around the 16, 17 mark. Yeah, Zach Merritt, 20, uh, almost twice as good as Darcy Parrish, just at 10.9. Right? I think most of Parrish's votes will come in the you know, sort of first oh, yeah. half dozen games. Frio was the interesting one. Yeah, I think, um, well, it might be, it's, it seems like it's going to be reversed. So I've got Sarong 27 and Brayshaw 17. Uh, Luke Jackson. You're quite comfortable here, like there's a gap there. Yeah, I think it's pretty uh, pretty clear. Like Bra- Brayshaw, it's interesting because it's not, you can look at the last three years for Andy Brayshaw, love Brayshaw and it's very similar. Like his output's been very similar, yet two years he wasn't spoken about, one year he was best player in the league. So it's fascinating to see how um how everyone sort of viewed him but i think yeah i'd be pretty surprised if caleb sarong didn't and then you said luke jackson a third yeah yeah 20 22 for brayshaw for us and 16 for sarong so mm. there you go uh where are me cats. cats cats a little tricky um i've got cameron cameron um leading on 14 again most of his votes will come in the first six seven weeks yeah. 
Um, Dangerfield will have a few best on grounds to be second, and he actually, I think, I, I believe, two best on ground. He's two best on grounds away from tying Gary Ablett Jr. for most right? best on grounds uh, ever. Keep an eye on that one as well. Yeah, so we got again talk about a midfield as well. We got key four Jeremy Cameron first for the Cats, twelve. Tom Stewart second at eleven, and <laughs> even dropping down to Tom Hawkins third at seven. So you're not a midfielder in sight. Uh, Suns, Noel Anderson nineteen, Matt Rowe ten. Um, yeah, probably probably another one where I'd be pretty comfortable uh, taking Anderson. Yep, same two names: Anderson seventeen, Matt Rowe nine for us. Giants. This is a tough one. Yeah. Giants might be the toughest one to pick. Um, all year it was close. And I feel like this is the one, having che- checked mine against other predictors and champ- champion data as well, it's, this is the one that I'm I'm all over the shop with. I'm not sure how this is going to play out. I've got Toby Green winning at just 18.5. He had a Tom Green 17.5. Ooh, Tom tight. Green, it, it, it'll be interesting to see how Tom Green play. He could get 22. He could get 9. Yeah. He's... He was the um, he won more ball than anyone this year. We know what he be, has been doing in the clearance game and contested possession. So we'll see how he goes. So eighteen point five Toby, seventeen point five Tom, and then Steve Cornelio sixteen, Josh Kelly down at nine. Yeah, again, if we're rounding up, we've probably got joint second. So Toby Green, same as you, fifteen, and second would be Tom Green and Cornelio, both with thirteen. Green. And again, there is that there is that sort. Of, you'll find there's that fifteen to twenty percent difference um, based on the way we do our votes but it seems a lot of the names are pretty similar Hawks Hawks I've got Jai Newcomb winning mm. um, from James Sicily mm. um, that's interesting and then yeah a bit of a gap back to Day Warplemore yeah Jai Newcomb 18 point you know 18 votes for us gets him 10th so we've actually got wow. him in the top 10 and then 11.4 for Sicily in second uh, Demons uh, Demons, Petrarca, 30. Um, there's a few markets for Melbourne leader without uh, without Petrarca. Most people believe it's going to be Jack Finey. I've still got Oliver really? actually holding on. I think Oliver's going to pull close How many to games f- did he miss? 10, I think. He's got, but but he, um, I have him polling in every game he played until he went out, I think, at round 10 or 11. So could be at 15 votes before he goes out. And whether Jack Viney gets that or not, we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, so 27 for Petrarca. So we got Viney second at 16. Oliver 14, so just behind. Uh, and then the Kangaroos. Sheezel uh, think... get the triple, the rising star, the Don't best think and fairest. So. And... I reckon he's a big chance to poll in the first two games of the season. Yeah. Uh, not sure he gets another vote after that. Um, I think it's LDU who's going to take it. Uh, from Larky. Be interesting to see how Larky mm. goes. A couple of games where he's probably going to get three, but yeah, I think LDU got him How many on. votes, sorry? Uh, 11.5. Yep, so that's one we got high. LDU's 12 for us, and uh, Sheasel second at six. Uh, Port Adelaide. Yeah, tough one. Um, 29.5 for Zach Butters, 25 for Connor Rosie. I... A lot of people love to to bundle these um, these team leaders into their their multi bets. Probably one I would be avoiding. I don't think there's value in putting Zach Butters in. I think it's a little close for comfort. And as we said, we are a little unsure about how he's going to poll. Uh, I th- I'll get to it a bit later. But I think Connor Rosie to to win Port Adelaide at about six to one, depending on where you can you can find these markets, is pretty good value. Fair enough. Yeah, as I said, Rosie, we've got 19 and Butters 15, just waiting for the umpires to start <laughs> noticing him so we can build him up. <laughs> uh, Richmond, Tim Taranto, topping your list? Yeah, Tim Taranto, well, he was one of the favourites. Um, yeah, he was. Up until the bye, he was probably on track for 30 votes. In the end, I've, I've got him on 23.5, um, ahead of Bolton 14, Martin 10.5. Um, I think he'll still finish top 10. 
um, but probably not challenging for the actual medal like we thought. Yeah, we got him ninth, at, so 18 and a half. So it's got to go up to 19 votes or so. Uh, second, Shy Bolton. And yeah, looking at Taranto, it looks like round 10 to 14 for that five-week period. We've almost got him in the twos to yeah. threes in, in, in each of those games. Well, he played, well, he had one of the best four-week stretches mm. of all time, really, with what he was doing, ball-winning and kicking goals. Uh, so Kilda. I'm actually interested to see what uh, you've got for this one, Christian. St. Kilda's a tricky one. Um, and sometimes I look at some of the betting markets and I think, gee, have I got it wild, like massively wrong? So I've got Jack Sinclair winning it by double. I've got him on 22 and Rowan Marshall 11. You can get some decent value on Jack Sinclair. He is the favourite, but it, but I would have thought he would be much shorter than what he is. Some have him at 145 for it. I would have thought he'd be a lot shorter than that. A lot of people are liking Rowan Marshall in this market. Yeah, we got Rowan Marshall at 16 and Brad Crouch actually second at 11. Uh, Sinclair at 10. So again, wow. I think a lot of Sinclair is, one, he's, you know, we love him. We pump him up in the ratings and a lot of other measures we use. Just this Prowler predictor, I think, just not being a midfielder, not getting as many mm in and under midfield stats might hurt him a little but bit. He, but, but yeah, he does, but he's in a bit that Dacos sort of mould. We, we might not, he might not line up as a... As yeah, a, so I'll tell you, all about that, our AFL ratings recognise yeah. us how good he is and all the other things. It's just, I think, in this Brownlow predictor must be just where he gets his stats um, compared to, you know, as I said, he's going to get 30 and Crouch's going to get 32 and it's probably going to give it to Crouch just because he's the midfielder in our predictor. Interesting. Uh, Sydney... Had a little side bet with uh, our colleague Jared Barker at the start of the year that Chad Warner would outpoll Errol Goulden. Yes, uh, it's not been a gonna, lot of barracking from both. Not going to be the case, but the, the little uh, the little caveat in that in that wager was they or they both had to play the full season. So Warner missed, I think, three games. In the oh, end. so come well, it's going to be the it could be the difference. <laughs> I got Goulden twenty three, Warner about eighteen point five. So I, yeah, I think Goulden gets it. But Goulden's another one. You know, Goulden wins it by more than three votes. You've got, got to, you've to, got to pay He's up. got to win it by more than nine votes. Because oh. then he couldn't hey, have made uh. it up. Um, yeah, I think Goulden wins it but uh, and gets into the low 20s. Uh, some have him getting into the mid-20s. But he's another one. We'll have to wait and see how he polls. So there's a few of these guys that we just are unsure about right now. Yeah, we've dropped him all the way to third So at, at Sydney. So 15 for Warner, 12 for Parker, and 11 for Goulden. Again, based on Goulden, just no no uh, polling history. So it's interesting. You find these teams... Like I, I, so the champion data predictor is, is very accurate until it's not with some of these players. and Because and mm. we know... I mean, no one's... If you set the... The Errol Goulden over-under at 11.5, no one's taking the under. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, West Coast. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, West Coast. I think everyone's going to have Tim Kelly. That's no surprise. Probably somewhere around 8 to 10 votes is what he's going to get. But is anyone else going to get more than three? I don't think so. Yeah, Tim Kelly from nine, from Oscar Allen, who's the one that's closest to getting three, two and a half we've got him on. Uh, And finally, the Dogs. So interesting because you've got... Well, Bont right well, Bont, up there. Bont leading. Mm. Um, again, there's markets for some of these with the clear favourites, um, like the Dogs, markets for the, the next best if you take the favourite out. And I've got uh, Liberatore. But Liberatore is one as good as he's been. And obviously, we spoke about should have been All-Australian this year. He's been their second best player uh, for, for a number of years now. He, he's not a, he doesn't poll Brownlow votes. He just doesn't poll them. So... The games you watch and you think, well, he was easily their second best player, or even the games he's been the best player. Does he get three or does he get one? So it'll be interesting to see. So a little risky, when, especially when there's Tim English, Adam Traw. They, they had pretty good seasons and might poll votes. So, you know, 12 votes might get you second at the Dogs this year. 
Yeah, so looking at Liberatore, we haven't got him getting more... Like Our predictor hasn't predicted more than 1.4 votes for him in any game. We know how dominant he's been in some of the games, especially later in the season. So we've actually got uh, Bont number 124, but we've got Trelaw, again, slightly ahead, 9.2 versus 9 um, against Libba. But yeah, again, uh, with Libba, he's not... the same as Goulden or Butters, who are just new to this craft and sort of just establishing themselves. He's been doing the same thing for four years, and you're right, the umpires have never really um, rewarded him with the votes. Uh, fair enough. So that wraps it up. So if you want to, if you want to have a look at, at those sort of the, the team by team sort of stuff, that's that's a good little indication because there are obviously some that are very similar, and then there are some for, that are different for other for, for other reasons. Uh, if you were a betting person, uh, you know, and obviously gamble responsible, we um, we don't condone this kind of kind of stuff usually, but Brownlow is one of those occasions where I think it does sort of lend itself to that sort of stuff, but. Um, if there was some interesting little things that you've noticed over the course of the year that you could sort of pick up on, Jake, what would that be? Yeah, so we, we are do- recording this a little earlier. Some of these, some extra markets will come out a little closer to the uh, to the night. So there, so there are a few other things I might I might find pop up that I that I like. Um, but speaking right now, normally a bet that I think is a bit of a mugs bet or, or not worth taking the punt is the draw. And I think the draw this year is very good value, not just because Christian's actually got it as a tie, but because I think the likelihood of it happening is is high. I mean, we've, as I said, I've got five players that are finishing within two votes. The draw, you can get it at six to one right now in some places, and I think it's extremely good value. Um, can we say we're due for a draw? I don't think that matters at all, but I think St. that... St. Kilda's been due for a premiership for... <laughs> I, I think the draw is pretty good value in terms of players for for certain positions. I think Lockie Neal top five a dollar seventy five is very good value. I think he'll be top five, and I think Connor Rosie is very, very, very likely to be top ten. And you can get him at one fifty to one one fifty five at certain books for that. Um, another bit I really like is the most games polling votes market. Um, Christian Petrarca is a 225 favorite for this. Nick Day uh Nick Dacos is third in line of betting and he's at 6 to 650 again depending on where you're getting these odds uh to poll in the most games. So I've got him getting games I've got him getting guaranteed at least one 13 games. So I've got him polling in 13 games. There's no Dacos game I've got him maybe gets a half vote. Like he's every game of those 13 it's he's getting a guaranteed one. So Petrarca, who's the favourite, I've only got him guaranteed 12 games, max 13. Bont, uh, 11, max 13. Butters, 10, max 12. Hmm. So I think at worst, Dacos might tie that. And if he ties it with Petrarca, say, you're going to get half of that. So you're going to get, instead of 7 to 1, you're going to get 350. I think, it's a really, I think it's a really strong bet. I think he's, I'd be surprised if he didn't poll in 13 games, and it's whether the others can. So I think that's really good value at, as I said, six, somewhere in that six to seven range. I've seen it fluctuate a little bit. Um, and then people always ask me, uh, you know, what's the best way to double your money if you just want to sort of string a multi together to double your money? Well, this will get you 223 right now uh, if you can string these together. So Dacos, top three. Bontempelli, top five. Neil, top 10. Rosie, top 20. Sarong most at Frio, Merritt most at Essendon, and Goulden most at Sydney. So that, I, I think everything there is extremely safe. I'd be thinking that's a pretty solid bet to, to more than double your money. 
Fair enough. Uh, what are you really gambling with? For free and confidential support, call 1-800-858-858 or visit gamblinghelponline.org.au if you are going to have a flutter, Jake. Been good fun. This is your. This is the crescendo of your season. Uh, it is. I won't be. I won't even be watching the uh, the prelims. <laughs> <laughs> just be preparing for Monday. Well, Watching quick, reruns of old counts. Just well, I, I, I'm sad to say, I actually do do that. Just question for you. Um, Me? Yeah. Yes. Who do you think you've been? Uh, I'm not. A, I, I couldn't. You, do, you want, do you want to know a really don't bad secret? Don't say you secret? couldn't care. I often don't watch the count because it, it goes too late. Did you watch on last a Monday year? night? Huh? Did you watch last year? I did not watch last you year's didn't count. Watch, you I didn't caught watch up the next day. Yeah. I mean, I, obviously, I recorded it, but uh, I I watched it the next day and watched the interviews and all that kind of stuff. But I think pe- so much to filter through and yeah, but I think people event. get it in their head and and when you when you it's go a into it because we had about four or five years in a row where it was like someone was an unbackable favourite and it was a foregone conclusion you knew they were going to win and they, they wrap it up with four rounds to go and it's boring last year was epic and I really think this year is going to be the same too and I think if it if it comes down to the last round and they're reading them out and they're going game by game especially because the last round is obviously the freshest you remember the games everyone kind of knows who played well um, yeah it, it's 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 exciting well, uh, keep the receipts, everybody at home. At Footy Tips is where you'll find us on Twitter. That's where Jake will be trawling through the responses if he gets it right, especially, but also if he gets it wrong. Uh, also, can... if I get it wrong. But um, <laughs> yeah, hit me up if you have any questions or yeah, any find him at on... J Michaels at uh, at J Michaels ESPN. Um, if you DM him, he will see it. I'm sure he will. Uh, especially this time of year, he likes to to get involved with the Brownlow stuff. So. Uh, he's your shaman if you need him. Uh, Christian, good to speak with you. To everyone at home, we'll speak to you after the prelims. Listen to all the latest episodes by subscribing to the ESPN Footy Pod wherever you get your podcasts.